All right, you can be opening up your Bibles to the book of Ruth. And if you don't know where that is, it's in the Old Testament. So uh, we, hadn't, we hadn't studied anything in the Old Testament. Well, I had not studied a book from the Old Testament in a little while. So what better day to start a study of Ruth than Mother's Day, right? Or maybe in Ruth's case, you might think of it as Mother-in-Law's Day, right? Because it wasn't her blood mother, but... She, we're going to talk. We're going to show a dedication there between a daughter-in-law and a mother that uh, is a great example for all of us. The Book of Ruth is a beautiful interlude, you might say, of love, and it's set in a time of the judges in Israel. Right, the judges before the kings were set up. And turn over to uh, just turn back one book there in Judges, unless. See what it says about that time there in, in the time of the judges. Uh, beginning in 20, chapter 21 there, just, just one, really one page back, uh, and verse 23, and it says, <clears throat> And the children of Benjamin did so. They took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught. Then they went and returned their inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So, this is a period of time in Israel when there was great immorality, great idolatry, and war. And kind of sounds like the world we live in today, doesn't it? In fact, you could probably say... That was going on throughout all of history. Not necessarily in Israel all that time, right? If you go through the Old Testament, you study it all the way through, the Israelites were constantly going in God's grace and coming out of God's grace, right? They were constantly obeying, serving, and then they'd fall away. And something would happen. They'd be judged, right? God would judge. And then they would cry out to God, and he would forgive and bring them back. And then after a while, back in the same old rut, right? They'd fall away again. So it's kind of a human nature thing, isn't it, when we see that? But this is a time in the book of Ruth that's going on that there was great immorality in Israel, great sinfulness, great time of people, the people falling away or stepping away from God. It also tells a heartwarming story of devotion during this time and faithfulness, something that we not that we may not see in our own lives sometimes, right? It's going to show a devotion to someone who is not part of Israel, who is not part of the faith, did not know the things that the Israelites had, right? Did not understand what the Israelites had. Sure, the Israelites had the law of Moses, right? But somebody outside that may not have been as versed in that, and yet it's going to show some devotion and faithfulness that's out, outside of the nation of Israel. Concerns a widow, a Moabite woman, Ruth, who uh, leaves her home, who, who leaves her homeland to live with her Jewish mother-in-law, Naomi, and that's what we talked about. She's going to end up showing a devotion to her mother-in-law, Naomi, whom she loves greatly, and she's going to come to Israel because of that. And we're going to see how God honors her commitment. This is a woman who is a Moabite woman. She's not from the nation of Israel. She's not from, uh, she's not actually a descendant of Abraham. We'll see that in a moment. 
but she is going to be blessed because of her choice, the choice that she's going to make. By guiding her to the field of Boaz, who was a near kinsman to Naomi, God is going to honor her commitment, and by that she'll be blessed. When she gathers grain and finds a place in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Did you know that Ruth was an ancestor of Jesus? Everybody shaking their head. Did you all know that? Some of you may not have known that, but she is. It's been said that this book serves two purposes, right? To illustrate how Jehovah God rewards those who make wise spiritual choices and remain steadfast in their faith, or their filial, filial loyalty, as we might say, and how Ruth, a Moabitess, came to be an ancestor of David and ultimately Jesus Christ. Let's just look at that. Turn over to Ruth, chapter 4 there, and we'll read. Verse, uh, let's start with verse uh, 18. It says, now this is the genealogy of Perez, or Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenadab. Amenadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. Now we hadn't got into it yet, but through Boaz being married to Ruth, David becomes a descendant. Now, from that, it looks like she would have been, what, the great-grandmother, right? There's some discrepancy. Some scholars say some of the geologists leave out a couple people here and there, and they can't quite match up the years in there and some of that, you know, depending on how long a man might have lived back then. But at any rate, we see that Ruth was an ancestor of David. And ultimately, we know who came through the line of David. Jesus Christ. And that was prophesied, right? And he fulfilled the prophecy through the line of David. In fact, we can see that if we turn over to the book of Matthew. And let's do that real quick. Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> and let's see. Let's go with the verse. Let's just start at the beginning. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenadab. Amenadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. And do you remember who Rahab was? The harlot in Jericho who hid the spies, right? And lied to the men who were seeking him to protect them and let them out of her window of her house. Remember that? Interesting. Rahab is also in the genealogy of King David and ultimately Jesus Christ, a harlot, a non-Israelite who lived in the land of Canaan when the Israelites came to Jericho to take the land that a God had given them. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. So here we have two women. We don't necessarily read that right in the verses, but we understand through marriage. Two women, not Israelites, one considered a sinner. She's a harlot, adulteress, and yet she was redeemed because of the faith that she 
showed in the Lord. She showed in the God of Israel. So it's interesting how we can see that theme, right? That God rewards those who become faithful to him, who are faithful and loyal throughout their lives. All right. This is really a short book. It's only four chapters. We'll take, we're going to take about four weeks here, like I said, at the end of this quarter, and look at each chapter. So first, we're going to look at chapter 1, and let's just begin by reading it. Read chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon, or Malon, and Shilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Wait a minute, what did she say there? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Well, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. 
Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and, the Ru and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right. So here we have Naomi and her daughter-in-law. Naomi, she's, she's, she sounds pretty much like a Debbie Downer, doesn't she? I mean, she's not exactly the life of the party here. But she's explaining some things that she feels about her life, right? And perhaps some things that may be true. We're going to look at that. We have them going into this family, going in, uh, leaving Bethlehem, going in to Moab. So the setting is what? It's during the time of the judges, a very evil time. There's a famine in the land, perhaps brought on by their unfaithfulness. This is a theme that we're going to see all through the book of Ruth. Perhaps the Israelites at this time have disobeyed and fallen away so much that God is bringing judgment on them. God has sent a famine into the land. And so Elimelech decides, well, it's time for us to move on. I've heard about over Moab, they got food. So we're going to move. And you know, that don't sound that unreasonable, does it, right? I got a family, I got to feed them. They need bread. I heard over there they got some bread. Let's go. Pack up the wagon. We're heading to Moab. Greener pastures, right? You ever done that? You ever packed the family up and moved to another place because of greener pastures? Maybe the job you got paid a little better. Maybe the cost of living wasn't near as high. Maybe you got a big old house with a pool in the back. Yeah, we do that, don't we? That's human nature. Sure. Those are things we do in our lives. Doesn't seem that big a deal. He's just trying to feed his family, right? Family of four, uh, four leave Bethlehem to dwell in Moab. Of course, you know Bethlehem is a city that's located about five miles south of Jerusalem. It's real close to Jerusalem there. Moab is a country that's located east of the Dead Sea. Now, to an Israelite back in that time, that's a pretty long trip, right? For us, it's about like going across Atlanta or going across Lake Lanier, maybe. But for the Israelites, that's a big deal, packing up the family and moving. These, also, these people in Moab were descendants of Lot. And if you want to follow with me, let's turn over to Genesis, and we'll read about that. Just Genesis 19. That's what I said. The Moabites were not descendants of Abraham. They were descendants of Lot. Lot was what? He was the brother of Abraham, so... Same, same parents, right? But not exactly a direct descendant. Genesis 19, uh, verse uh, 36. He says, But thus, thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. You know, you know about that story. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. And you know, the Moabites came through an ancestral relationship, right? Lot and his daughters. They were not descendants of Abraham. And they were, a lot of the time, enemies of Israel. In fact, there are times when God used Moabites to judge Israel. If you turn back to the book of Judges, you can read that. Judges chapter 3. Uh, <coughs> Judges 3 
And we'll begin, let's see, we're, uh, yeah, let's just read in verse uh, 12. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here we go. They're on the downward swing. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and the Amalek, and Amalek went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. They were slaves to Moab for 18 years because of the judgment that God had brought on them. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, Benjamite, a left-handed man. We know about Ehud the judge, right? The left-handed judge. By him the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and cubit in length, fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man, and when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute, but he himself turned back from the stone images that were in Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, king. And he said, keep silence, and all who attended him were out from him. So he had came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then he had said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then he had reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt when it went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Well, it's not dinner time. Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants made, came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he probably, he's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. So they waited till they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore they took the key and opened them, and there was the master fallen dead on the floor. So here's an example of Moab, Moab oppressing the children of Israel, because of their unfaithfulness to God. You have another example, I'm going to read it, in 1 Samuel 22, where he, the Moabites become their friends and help them in oppressing others, going again in the fight against others. So there were times when the Moabites were enemies, times when the Moabites were not so much enemies, more like friends. But they were not of the children of Israel. They did not have the law. They did not have the promise to Abraham. Elimelech, the father, and Naomi, the mother, two sons, Malon and Shilion, and they were Ephrathites. Ephrath was also another name for Bethlehem. If you go back to Genesis 35 and 19, you can read that. Also, Micah talks about uh, Ephathra, or Bethlehem, Judah. <coughs> so they are from Ephathra, or they were Ephrathites. The move, as mentioned, it was prompted by famine, Perhaps indicating something here that you don't necessarily read in the text. If you want to read it, look over at Leviticus real quick. Chapter 25. Perhaps Elimelech was leaving, as we said, to take care of his family. But perhaps it's because of a little bit of a lack of faith on his part. Okay, maybe we don't see that outwardly, but perhaps inwardly that's true. Leviticus 25, beginning in uh, verse uh, 35. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him, like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. 
Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. Now what are we saying there? Have faith in me and take care of your brother. If your brother falls into poverty, don't loan him money and make him pay you back interest on it. Don't have them have to, uh, you know, don't, don't lend them money as a profit, right? Take care of them. Provide for them. The God, your God is faithful. Now what he's saying there is, I, I'm going to take care of you, but you are to take care of each other. Elimelech has pretty much abandoned that. He's decided that his family can't make it in Bethlehem anymore. Where God could show him favor if he was to remain faithful. So he leaves and goes to Moab. All right. So perhaps there's a lack of faith there. Not only that, we read in verse 3, Elimelech dies. I wonder if that has anything to do with his unfaithfulness. Could be. In fact, there's what's called the rabbinic tradition, which is basically traditional Judaism. Okay? You might even say it's Pharisaic Judaism. Okay? It comes from the Pharisees, who were the majority sect of the Jews at the time. And they would say... If something bad's happening to you, it's because of sin in your life. It's because you're not remaining faithful to God. And, of course, we kind of see that in the Old Testament, right? When the Israelites would fall away, they got judged. Things happened to them, bad things. They were oppressed by Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. Things like this happened. Then God would bring a judge after the Israelites cried out and restore Israel, restore the land of Israel to the Israelites. And they would be faithful to God for time. So, we kind of see that as happening, and perhaps that is true. Perhaps Elimelech dies because of his unfaithfulness. Then Malon and Shilion marry women of Moab. Malon marries Ruth. Shilion marries Orpah. Could be something along with these marriages that's not right either. Could it be? Turn over to Deuteronomy. Chapter 23, if you want to follow along, I'm going to read it. I know we're jumping around here a little bit. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, he says, He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. One of an illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 11. And let's read verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Hmm. Got some more statements there about marrying with the Moabites, right? Turn over there to Nehemiah. And let's see what's said in Nehemiah chapter 13.
verse 20, or verse 19. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, I'm sorry, verse, let's go down to 23. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the, or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. So here we see a marriage to a Moabite woman was suspect, if not completely wrong. They live in Moab about 10 years. Malon and Chilion die. Again, the Jewish tradition, rabbinic tradition, says that was because of their leaving Judah and their marriages. Leaving Naomi, a widow, and uh, no children anymore. And of course, she thinks she's being judged too. Limelech and his sons went to Moab to find bread. Instead, they found graves. Bereaved of her husband and two sons, Naomi gives thought of returning to her homeland. Okay. So here's Naomi. She went with her husband, followed her husband, who perhaps, due to his lack of faith, left his home in Bethlehem, goes to Moab. She follows it, has the, her sons go with her. The sons marry Moabite women. And now she realizes... God has not dealt with her the way she would have hoped. And so she decides, I need to return. Right? I need to go back. I need to return to my land where my God will take care of me and show my faithfulness to him. She finds out the famine in Judah has ended. The Lord's blessings have returned to Judah at this time. The Lord had given them bread. What does Naomi do? She encourages her daughter-in-laws to remain in Moab. She says, I'm going to go back. I know you have loved me and shown me great favor, but I cannot require you to go back with me. You're from here. Go back to your homes. Find your husband here among the Moabites. I'm too old. I can't get married and bury you a son anymore. Even then, would you marry him when they were of age? Noam encourages to the return of their mother south. Both women pretty upset about it. They both love her very much, right? Both fall on her neck, they kiss her, they say, no, we pledge our allegiance to you. Ultimately, though, Orpah does go back to her home, but Ruth decides something differently. Ruth decides what? That she's going to return with Naomi. What's the big deal about that, right? Naomi again seeks to dissuade her, again seeks to discourage her from returning with her because she knows she can't provide things for her that she needs. She's hoping to have enough bread to be able to survive herself, right? She's going back home, just believing in God, having faith in God, he's going to take care of her. But she doesn't believe that she can take care of two daughters-in-law. Ruth can't be dissuaded though, right? Weeping. She clings to her mother-in-law, even though after she tries to persuade her, Ruth says what? Those six lines that you've heard many times, right? I know you ladies have heard that on a ladies' day at a time or two, right? 
And what does Ruth say? I will go where you go, Naomi. I will live wherever you live, Naomi. My, your people, Naomi, will be my people. Your God, Naomi, will be my God. I will die where, and I will be buried with you, Naomi. Nothing but death will separate us. She shows a faithfulness to Naomi that's unprecedented, really. I mean, she's, her, she's not even her blood relative. She's only related to her through marriage. But she has a great love for her mother, mother-in-law that she says, I'm not going to, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to follow you everywhere. Ultimately, what's she doing here? She's becoming a proselyte to Judaism. She's becoming an Israelite. She is showing her faith in the God of Israel. And that's kind of the theme we're seeing here in this first chapter. Ruth, by saying she's going to follow Naomi, she's now saying she's going to follow God. Interesting, right? Naomi realizes Ruth is determined to go with her now, so she shuts up. So I'm, not going to, I'm not going to say anything else. If you want to come on, come on. Let's go. Get in the wagon. Let's go. Right? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we have enough gas to get there. Who knows if we're going to have any food. But let's go. They're showing faith. Right? Naomi's showing faith that her God is going to take care of her. Ruth really doesn't have any clue, but she sees Naomi doing it. She knows Naomi will take care of her, and her God will take care of her. They go back to Bethlehem, and it's interesting. The people recognize her, kind of. They're excited. There's, there looks like there's some women coming back that we knew. Is that really Naomi? Well, she's a little older, but yeah, that's Naomi. And what does Naomi say? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara or Mara. Naomi meaning pleasant, Mara being bitter. Because God has dealt bitterly with me. Interesting concept, right? And this may be true. If you turn back to Deuteronomy 28, and let's just read a few verses from that chapter real quick. Deuteronomy 28, and let's begin in verse 15. Curses on disobedience is the theme, if you, look, if you have that in your Bibles. Verse 15, but it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully... All his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall you be in your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall, you, shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Now that is a theme we see right here. Naomi believes it's true, and perhaps it is. But is that the end of the story? Is that true for everyone? Just because something bad happens to you, does that mean it's because of your sin or your unfaithfulness? Well, have you ever read the book of Job? You remember the main theme in Job? Job at the beginning where Satan is talking to God and God says, where you been? Oh, I've been walking around on the earth looking for somebody to devour. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He says, I can't. You got a hedge around him. I can't touch him. 
God is protecting those who are faithful. Oh. He says, okay, I'll tell you what then. I'll remove the hedge. You can do some stuff to him. And he does. Takes away, destroys his, his flock, his, his, his livestock, takes away his children, puts nasty boils on him, does some awful stuff to him, right? So much so that Job has some friends that come by, and they say, hey, Job, this has happened to you because you're a sinner. You got to stop your sin, whatever it is. You got to stop it because God's bringing judgment on you. Job says, I haven't sinned. I haven't done anything. Done nothing wrong. And he starts asking why. Why is this happening? God, I haven't done anything wrong. God says, Job, guess what? It don't matter what you did. You just believe in me. You just continue to have faith in me. Never promised you you're going to be healthy all your life. Never promised you you're always going to be wealthy in this life. But I will reward you for remaining faithful. That's the theme of Job, right? Bad things sometimes happen to those who are faithful. In this world, because of sin, we have bad things happening. Immorality, wars, sinful things, health issues, all kinds of things happen to us even though we're faithful. So it's not necessarily true that Naomi suffered because of her faith. But when we look back and see, well, it might be because they were unfaithful. Perhaps that was part of that. They left Israel, didn't believe God was going to take care of them. So perhaps those things happened. We don't see that directly, but it's a possibility. Naomi and Ruth settled in Bethlehem. Naomi, a woman without a husband. Ruth, the Moabite, living in a strange land. Their arrival, and notice in the last verse of their arrival, is that the beginning of the barley harvest, which is going to set the stage for the next chapter and the next event that's going to take place. It portends a new beginning in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and illustrates the importance of making good choices. See, that's the theme here. What choice are you going to make? You're going to do like Elimelech and his family and leave because you don't have bread? Are you going to remain faithful to God who has promised you I'll take care of you? Promised that I will reward you in the end. You see, that's the theme here. Ultimately, living a life of obedience and faithfulness to God. One thing we can say, and if you want to, turn over to Matthew 6 and read it with me. Ultimately, in this life, what can we do? How can we live our lives? We don't know what's going to happen for sure. But Matthew 6, I'm sorry, I'm in Mark. Matthew 6. <clears throat> Around the end of that chapter, Matthew 6, he says, it's verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day 
is its own trouble. That's really what we're talking about here. Remain faithful. Yeah, there's going to be hard times. You're going to be wondering where, you might be wondering one day what I'm going to eat the next day. But if you seek first the kingdom, these things will be added to you. And that's a promise. That is truth. Easier to, see, to say that than perhaps to do it sometimes, right? But it has to do with our faith. And that's the theme we're seeing. All right.